turning there, I just give you a quick uh, uh, introduction. My name is Chris, and I've been an assistant pastor at Joshua Springs most of my adult life. About three and a half years ago, for the first time, God began to stir my wife and I's heart that we were supposed to go somewhere and uh, plant a church. And so we ended up in all places of Tooele, Utah. And, uh, you know, just, just by God's design and when it, when it started, I didn't even like Utah. And I was like, you know, I would drive through Utah and just like speed because I just wanted to get out of Utah. And God had a plan and I was supposed to be there. And so anyways, we've been there about three and a half years before I left to go there. I was an assistant pastor, as I said, at Joshua Springs. And uh, Jackie and I, we shared an office for a while. And uh, Jackie and I served together for about 10 years. And part of that time in the same office, and so just, just a privilege to be here and uh, be a part of this, and so you, you guys are the group that di- couldn't or didn't go to family camp, what? <laughs> that's all right, I'm here too, so, well, uh, hopefully we'll get up and uh, see Jackie and Kathy before we leave, so, Nehemiah chapter 4, did you guys find it? So we're in the, the post-exile uh, books, Nehemiah, Ezra, and Esther. And, and this is after the 70-year captivity in Babylon. When they left Babylon, they left kind of in waves. And, and as they came back and, and entered and back into Jerusalem. Today we have a term, we call it Aliyah. In 1948, Jews make Aliyah when they, they return to their homeland and they come back to Israel. And so this was a... The first or the second Aliyah here, and, and they're leaving Babylon and kind of coming in waves, but they didn't all come right away. And the first wave that was led by Zerubbabel, and they, they came back and they rebuilt the temple. And then Ezra followed up after Zerubbabel came back and rebuilt the temple, and he instituted the worship. And the building was there, but the, the spirit and the, the, the heart and, and teaching worship and the people to walk with the Lord. And so he came back and he began to lead that. And then in this third wave, Nehemiah went, and Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. And as his cupbearer, he would have had a wealth, he would have had a prominent position, and, and he was downcast, it says in chapter 1, and the king noticed it, and he said, what, what's wrong with you, and why are you, what's going on? And he, he began to tell him what was happening back in his homeland, where his heart was, and, and that the, the wall was not, it was, it, the wall was, um, broken down, and there was the people that were there were under con- constant attack, and there was no no fortified city there. And he wanted to go back, and so he went back to rebuild the wall in this third wave of Aliyah as they left to go back. Jesus said, as you guys know, on the road to Emmaus, Jesus, after he rose, he met those two guys, and they're walking down the road, and they don't know who he is, and Jesus is having fun with them, right? And um, maybe he shaved his beard, you know, I don't know, he can do that, right? Like, he doesn't even have a beard, and he shaved his beard, cut his hair, and um, they didn't recognize him. And at the end of that, Jesus said, all, he began to show him, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, in all the scriptures that spoke of him. And we wish we had that sermon, right? As Jesus went back to Moses and took, us through the, took those guys through the Old Testament and showed them and taught them everything through the Old Testament concerning Jesus all the way through. In these three post-exilic books, the, book, the books right after the exile, we, we have a kind of different twist on it. We know we see Jesus all the way through the Old Testament. But in these three books, we get this picture of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And, and as the first wave went back, it, it's born again. The work of the Spirit when we ask Jesus in our heart and we're saved. And, and that's a work of our spirit. And, and then the next, the next work is, is in our soul. And, and as... as you know, the, the work of the mind and the struggle and the, the day-to-day battles that we fight of walking and living this Christian life. We're saved, 
but we're still struggling. We're, we're still not bearing fruit for God. We're still not doing anything other than just barely making it. And we hang on enough because we, we have enough fear of hell and of, of, of wanting to serve God, but our, our soul is struggling. And, and Nehemiah is, is that kind of section of the work of the Holy Spirit as we go through here. And so Ezra, the first one, what's interesting is Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. Ezra means helper. Nehemiah means comforter. Those words sound familiar concerning the Holy Spirit? Isn't that exact way that Jesus described the Holy Spirit in the New Testament as our helper and our comforter? And then Esther, who comes later, what's interesting about the book of Esther is there's no mention of God or the Lord in the book by name. And, 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 and Esther can mean star, and most, most things you read will say Esther means star. But the root word of Esther is Hester, and that means hidden. And the work of the Holy Spirit is hidden, and it's behind the scenes. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit is constantly to point us to Jesus and not to Himself. And then as we get to Jesus, what is Jesus constantly doing? He's constantly pointing us to the Father as we, we go on from there. And so in this, we have this, this physical story of some spiritual battle that we face in our lives today in our soul. And so... I, want to, I just want to start with a scripture that you guys hopefully know really well by now. But in Ephesians chapter, chapter 6, in verse 12, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So, so many of the stories in the Old Testament, they're, they're, they're a, a physical picture of, a, of an actual battle. David went out to fight Goliath. Goliath was a real human being almost 10 feet tall. And David had to literally fight and slay this giant with his weapons, which is stones as he chose. Today, on this side of the cross, we, we, we have these Goliaths in our lives, but we don't shoot them with our, with our AKs or our ARs. We, we have to fight, and in, in, in spiritually, we have to fight these battles. And so those Old Testament pictures are amazing stories that God orchestrated to teach us on New Testament living of the same types of battles that are now spiritual battles that we fight. And as it says here in Ephesians, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and these different um, levels of demonic oppression and, and, and attacks that come from the enemy and the way he's organized the, the demonic host. And so in chapter 4, beginning in verse number 1, it says, But so it happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Christians. Is that what your Bible says? Just add that for me. That's, that's in First Chrysalonians, and I just put it in here. So the, the, to, to apply it for us today, it could be for the Christians, for, for you and I. And Sanballat being a type of Satan here in Nehemiah, he's, he's beginning to attack by mockery. And mockery and discouragement is such a, such a, a battle of the, that we face in the ministry, in life, of walking. And, and we get this condemnation that comes from Satan in the form of mockery and, and belittling. And, and, and telling us that, that we're not good enough and that you, you blew it and that you don't deserve it and you shouldn't go to church and you shouldn't pray and you shouldn't step out because of who we are. And we get this constant mockery that also comes from the world. And that, that you Christians, you, you pray, you raise your hands when you worship, you go to church in these little meetings and you, you talk about the Bible for an hour and then you're sheep, you know? And, and the world says that, that lions don't need to lose sleep over, over what sheep think. And, and we get this mockery that comes from the world. Our education system is full of mockery. And your kids that are on their way to college, they're going to face the toughest type of mockery that there is from our education system 
trying to mock God and mock their faith right out of them. And it's such an attack of the enemy. And that's where this, this attack on Nehemiah and this group that, that is there building the wall begins as, as the enemy is, is wanting to use this mockery. But we have to put it out. Do you remember Jesus when he, when he raised um, Jairus' daughter? And it says that the, the, the people came in and they were mocking and he's, she's dead, she's dead. And Jesus said she's not dead. And it says he put them out. And then he began to perform a miracle. And so in your life, in my life, we have to put those things out and put those things off. And it says that in verse number 2, and it says, And he spoke before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Christians doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones? Are you talking about the rolling stones? Those guys won't go away. There's no reviving them. They're not going anywhere. From the heaps of rubbish, the stones and the burns. And so the verse number three, and one more verse. And it says, Now Tobiah the Ammonite was besides him, and he said, Whatever these build, even if a fox goes up on it, he will break it down into stones. And so they don't really take him seriously. Nehemiah's back in the third wave, and, and the, the mockery comes, but at the same time, like, what are they going to do? If a fox runs on the wall, it'll break down. Where, um, where Lydia and I pastor, we, we started with a little Bible study in our home. We had a couple families that we met through Calvary Chapel, Salt Lake City, that we were invited to start. And um, as we, you know, we, we got enough people, and uh, we rented a little storefront on Main Street. And we had the room, it was 17 and a half feet wide and 100 feet long. And we cut it in half, and we made the front of sanctuary and the back we used for children's ministry. And before our, we rented it on August 1st, and we told everybody on September 1st we're going to have our first Sunday. So we had to go in. It was a, it was a hair salon, and so we had to fix it up the best we could and paint it. And, um, and before our first Sunday, God told us that we were going to need the other side, and the other side had just become available as well, and it was a dance studio, and they were empty. And so we, we didn't have any money. And when we, when we first rented that building in Tooele, some part in that Wednesday night Bible study, we had told the people that uh, we were going to start receiving an offering. And many of us were still going to a, a church on Sunday. And so, you know, not, not to steal anybody's... We just said we're going to, at some point, our heart is to, to start a Sunday. And if you want to be a part. So when it came to August 1st, we had $2,200 in our, in our account. And they wanted $2,400 for first and last for, for the rent. So we wrote our first check from the church, negative $200. And Lydia and I put $400 in the church account so it would show black something that really wasn't there. And with negative $200, God said, I want you to, to rent the other side. And I smiled. I was so excited. I was like, this is cool. I remember I called Dad. And I said, hey, this is what happened. He's like, go for it. So, so we call the, the realtor, and he's in Salt Lake. He's got to come out. And he comes out, and we schedule this appointment. No money, and I'm going to negotiate this. I'm going to bring price down if we rent both. But the only way it's going to work is we've got to be able to knock this wall out in between these two to open up this one room that's now 35 by 50 for a sanctuary and the same thing in the back for the children's ministry. And so he schedules the meeting on Monday. We have no money, no negotiating power. And that Saturday before he was going to come, I get this phone call, and, and Lydia had somehow got it. She said, hey, this guy's tried to call you a couple times. You probably should call him back. So I call him back, no, get a voicemail, I'll leave a message, and then my phone lights up with this text. And it's like, I want to meet you tomorrow at noon. You don't know me, but you'll find out tomorrow why. So I go home, and Lydia's like, are you going to go? So I went, and I kissed my wife and my kids goodbye, and I said, I'm going to go. 
So I went, I went down to, to meet this person I'd never met before and started, we took me out to lunch and started asking me a bunch of questions all concerning money and tithing and giving. And, and at the end of the lunch, he, he handed me an envelope and he said, don't tell anybody where you got it. And I forget what the second stipulation was. There was two. I don't think I've broken either one yet. So I could tell a story, but just not tell anybody where I got it. So I get back to, oh, he said, wait till you get home to open it. That was the second one. Well, I went to the church that was like down the street. Is that close enough? That was home, right? So I get to the church and I open the envelope. And from a complete stranger that's never been in our church before or since, there was a check for $40,000 in there. And that's how we got started. That's how Tooele Springs officially started. We bought our chairs, our TVs, our monitors, all our stuff that we have. And, um, and, and we got started and, and the church has been growing. And that first Sunday, September 1st, we had standing room only. I had 65 chairs in there and we had about 75 people show up. That's the biggest crowd we've ever had since. But, <laughs> but it, there were 75 people there on day one. And, and, and God knew that we were going to have to knock that wall out. We had some teams come up from California and we were able to knock the wall out and, and go to the other side. And we turned it. And um, it, it's, it's just been, it's been a, you know, amazing to be a part of it. But to see that, the you know, I think where I want to kind of go with this is that the the people would always ask us, like, what, what is your relationship with the LDS church? And what is your relationship with, you know, the community that you live in? And, and I always tell them, well, right now what they say is that if a fox runs on our wall, it'll fall down. And, and that's just the truth because they, they just really don't, they, we're, we're just small and they don't, they don't really mind right now. The community that we live in, um, on paper, if you go to Wikipedia or wherever you find this information, it'll, it'll list like 89% LDS. When I read that before I got there, I said, well, that, that seems really high. There's no way. Since I've been there, I think that it's much higher. And, and not, not higher in that that's the people that are attending church regularly, but 100% of the people that we deal with that are from that area, born and raised there, the LDS church has touched their life at some point. And, and so, when, when, again, with this question, what, what are, how, how's the relationship? And, you know, I tell them, there's been churches just like ours over the last 20 years that come and go, come and go, come and go, and they build a little wall and a fox runs on it and it falls down. And I said, they don't pay us any, any, any mind, really. They, they, they're not worried about us because they've seen churches, church plants just like ours in that city. The building that I'm in was a church at one time. And, and, and since I've been there, you know, this thing happens. These church, churches spring up and plant, and some of them are good church plants, and then they can't make it, and they try to get together to make one church to make it work, and things fall apart. And so, you know, we, we want to get to the point where we're, we're kicking on the gates of hell, where, where we're making noise, where they can't ignore, ignore us anymore, and they can't mock us that a fox is going to run on the fence and it's going gonna, it's gonna to fall apart. And then he goes on and it says, in verse number 4, Hear, O God, for we despised, turn their reproach on their own heads, and give them as plunder to the land of captivity. And so immediately in verse 4, um, Nehemiah begins to pray. And, and, and for me personally, I, when, I, when I became a Christian, I was 20 years old. I was alone in my room by myself watching TV. I wasn't watching TVN. Nor should you. But anyways, uh, it was actually Dr. Charles Stanley. And I, and I had a, a, a ton of garbage that I won't really get into today with you in my life. Tons of baggage in my life. I was raised by a single mom in, uh, in L.A. Um, and, and just everything that goes with it. 
My life was a complete mess, going nowhere. And when I was in 7th and 8th grade, um, I had a neighbor kid. And they, they had the biggest house in our, in our neighborhood on our block. It might have been the only house on my block. And um, the rest were apartments. And they, they, um, they had a trampoline in the backyard. Now, I know that's commonplace, but when you're in inner city L.A., like a trampoline is the coolest thing you got. And so we'd always want to hang out at their house. And they had a rule at their house that if you, if you spent the night on Saturday night, you had to go to church with them on Sunday morning. And so I was going to church. I would go hang out with Jason, who became, was eventually the best man in my wedding, and the Haber Tape family. And I went there. And in junior high, it was the first introduction I ever had to church or God. And it was through a little, it was a, it was a youth group. It was actually an Awana program, a junior high Awana program, when I was in 7th and 8th grade. And I, I attended for two years. And, and being the competitive person I was, they had a memory verse um, competition. And so as soon as you say the word competition, like, I don't care what it is, I wanted to win it. And I thought, you know, despite myself, I had to memorize scriptures, but I didn't care. I wanted to win it. And so seventh grade, I was the memory verse champion of Awana. And I'm still bitter about it because in eighth grade, another kid tied me and I'm a co-champ in eighth grade. But, but in ninth grade, and, and as life went on, that was it. That was the end. I stopped going to church and, and, and nobody in my family was Christian. And um, just life just, just swallowed me up. And when I was 20 years old, in a bad place, alone in my room, I asked Jesus into my heart to be my Lord and Savior. And and from that point on, I know that God had delivered me, physically delivered me from all the bondage that was in my life. But I didn't necessarily walk in that deliverance immediately. And I continued to struggle. And I went through a period of time for about six months where I was kind of back and forth. And I was in church on Sunday with my hands raised. And and, and on Monday, I I was doing things that I used to do before I was a Christian. And and, and shortly after I got saved, God opened the door that I, I had to move out of L.A. And the same family in junior high, 7th and 8th grade, that led me to Christ had moved to Hemet, California. And they were, they were involved in a, in, a, in a Calvary Chapel church in Hemet, California. And they said, why don't you come up here and live with us? And so I moved to Hemet. And I spent almost two years in Hemet living with the Haver Tate family and attending a Calvary Chapel um, in Hemet. It was a smaller Calvary, Calvary Chapel San Jacinto. When I first started going, and I was struggling, and I was, when I had a free moment, I would go back home to L.A., and, and I would, you know, and, and I can remember one time I'm coming back from L.A. after a weekend of, of being in this, this newly saved period of struggling with my soul, and my spirit was born again, and struggling, and I'm driving, and I had the radio on Christian Radio in Hemet, and the two-hour, two, two-and-a-half-hour drive to L.A., and on the way home, I hadn't had the radio on all weekend, and on the way home... I turned the radio back on for the first time and it was still on Air One or K-Love, whichever one it was. And it was a, the, the, the first lyrics that came on the radio was, the sun has come and you've been left behind. And the Holy Spirit just, just convicted me and I began to cry and I was so afraid that, that I was looking around like, where are those calling people? No cell phones in those days. I don't know how I was calling them, but I was wanting to call them probably. But there was just this amazing conviction that the Spirit has come and you've been left behind. And, I, and, and there was a process of of growing in Jesus. And I can remember in that time, fully addicted, coming off of addiction. I can remember that, you know, I had to fight in prayer. And I had to really, and, and there were some amazing times, and, and I, I don't do it anymore, and maybe I should, but there was times where I would shake and I would pray, and I would say, God, you've got to help me. God, you've got to change me. And I learned how to pray, and I learned Jesus. And I can remember I went through this, this period in my life where, uh, you know, uh, the, being a new Christian where I was struggling. And, and I, was, I was sinning, and I was going to church, and I was sinning, and I was going to church, but I was turmoil, and my heart was really crying out. I didn't want to be addicted anymore. I, didn't, I wanted a break from that life. I grew up in such a way that, you know, I seen it. I seen it. I found my brother, like, at 14 years old, overdosing on heroin in the back alley. 
And, and just enough at 14 that I, I didn't want to grow up and be like that. And I'm in this internal struggle. And, and through that, I had to fight in prayer. And I learned how to pray. And I prayed and I prayed. And so as we, as we struggle in life and as you, you're born again, and I'm not talking about people that are not saved. I'm talking about you're, you're a Christian. You're born again. And you're just struggling with the, the part of your, 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 your soul that is your mind, your decision-making, your will. Parts of you that, that, that are, you know, your rational thinking. Why do you do the things you do? Why do you have the tendencies that you have? Why do you end up in the places that you do? And in fighting those things, we have to pray. We have to pray, 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 pray. Amen? When I first got to Hemet, I was in this Calvary Chapel called Val Vista, and I wanted to serve, you know, and so they said, all right, well, they put me in the sound booth, and so I was in the sound booth, and they're trying to teach me the buttons, and, um, you know, I was, I, I, was, I was a worshiper, you know, and I was, I was in the sound booth, and I'd be singing the songs, kind of worshiping, and they'd be like, hey, you're supposed to be pushing buttons, and, <laughs> and then the worship pastor at the practices, he'd be like, no, it doesn't go, Jesus, it goes, Jesus. And I'd get so mad, and I'd go, what is he talking about? He just said the same thing twice. And they said, dude, you're totally tone deaf. You had no idea what you're doing. Go to the children's ministry. So I started serving in the sixth grade children's ministry. And in verse 5, where are we at? 5, 6. It says, do not cover their iniquity, and do not let their sins be blotted out from before you. For they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Guess what's going to happen as that wall starts to go up? They're going to get the attention of the enemy. As you grow and as you're, as, you, as you're starting to figure out these areas of your soul and being born again and this, this work of the comforter, the helper, the Holy Spirit in your life, you're going to get and keep the enemy's attention. And I can't wait for the day, really, that that, that, that happens in Tooele where we are. Where, where they have to take us seriously. And as this wall starts to go up, that, 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 that we get the attention. But I want to tell you, whether it's an internal struggle, a ministry building, um, they, they, they got, and what's going to happen here as this wall goes up, that the enemy is going to now tar- start taking them more seriously. He's going to start ramping up the attacks and the, and the fight on, on, on what they're trying to do. And then there's a little phrase there. I think it's repeated twice here. Verse number six, they had a mind to work. I love that phrase. You know, the ministry is work. But, but not only just in ministry and in, in the things we talked about, cleaning the church and setting up chairs and taking down and the work of here, but in your life personally, it's work to be a Christian. It's work to have victory. It's work to build something. You know, it, it, right? Something that, that's worth having, you, you work for it, you earn it. You, it feels better at the end of the day if you had to work and build it yourself and earn it. And, and if things are falling apart in your life, it's time to fight. It's time to work. And things don't get better just, just on their own with time. When I was a kid, I used to play a lot of basketball, and, and I had white man's disease. I, I wasn't fast, and I couldn't jump high. When I jump really high, you can get a piece of paper under my feet. Sometimes two. And, and, and I can remember being a kid and just thinking all the time, like, well, as I get older, I'm just naturally going to jump higher. And, you know, I'll be dunking by the time I'm a sophomore. And sophomore year came and I still couldn't touch the net, you know. And, um, and, and life is that way. You don't just, because life goes on, things get better. You have to work. You have to have a mind to work. You have to put, do something. You've got to start praying. Start seeking the Lord. Start growing. Start fighting for, for those things, those struggles of your life. Fighting for your your. your 
families, for your children, for your, your struggles, for that part of your, your, your soul that, that the enemy wants to attack. And it says in verse number 7, So now it happened when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were being closed, that they became very angry. You know, I find that in this, this term gaps, right? And we use that term as Christians, right? It's one of our Christianese sayings, stand in the gap. Let's stand in the gap for a brother or sister. Let's, let's pray. Let's be there. And, you know, as we have gaps among our, our different denominations and different faiths, and you find that the, the more spiritual somebody becomes, I think the less denominational we become and the, the less worried we are about what tribe we're from and what, 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 our, what our doctrinal differences are. You know, in all those areas, I think it's important that we remember that those are family matters. Those are our family and the body of Christ. And in family matters, it's not good for the world to see us bickering among family members all the time. Jesus said, it's your love one for another. By this, they'll know you're my disciples. You know, if people want to argue with me sometimes about, you know, family matters and, and, and get real indignant on having to be right on, on one side of the issue and what tribe you're from, whether you're from the tattoo tribe or the no tattoo tribe, or you're from the um, speak in tongues or don't speak in tongues tribe, or you're from the, you know, the once saved, always saved Jesus can't may or God can't build a rock big enough. He can't move it, tribe. And, and I ask him, I say, you know, what, what, what did Jesus say the greatest commandment was? What is, what is the most elementary principle of Christianity? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Have you mastered that? And if you haven't mastered the most elementary principles of Christianity, why are we fighting about these other things? And, and why are we causing division among the family? Now, I, I get it, right? Study to show thyself approved, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And I get it. And I, and I, and I, I think it's right. But at the same time, in, in, in family matters, we want to close that gap. We, we, we want to stand in that gap. We, we want to focus on doing something for Christ and not fighting with other Christians about what they're doing or not doing. And not arguing about doctrinal differences among believers when maybe we could be out sharing the gospel with somebody that doesn't know Jesus. Amen? You know, Jesus, or James tells us in James chapter 1 and verse 12 that there's a special crown for those who love Jesus. Special crown for those who love Him and love His appearing and, and, and are look for His appearing. I want to wear that crown. How about you guys? And then what do we get to do with that crown? We get to cast it at His feet, right, when we see Him. Because when we see him, that's going to be more important than that crown. And when we see him, that's going to be more important than whether we, we had perfect theology or doctrine. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and your neighbor as yourself. It goes on, in verse number 8, and it says, All of them conspired together to come attack Jerusalem and create confusion. And so the enemy is now conspiring against, against the believers. You know, along that same vein, we, sometimes in, in ministry and in life, the, the, the biggest attacks come from the people that are close to you. The biggest attacks on churches usually come from, from those within the church. In the three and a half years that Lydia and I have been in Tooele, our, our biggest spiritual battle that we've had to face, that we shed more tears over in the last three and a half years, came from within. People within our church that, that caused us a ton of pain went to Calvary Chapel Salt Lake and started telling lies about us and created. Thankfully that we worked it all out and what's a miracles are still there. 
And, and we were able to sit him down and love him through it. And, you know, you, you can mess with me, but don't mess with my wife. I'm just going to tell you right now. <laughs> She'll get you. But she, she, you know, what was amazing is, don't take that the wrong way. <laughs> you guys don't know me, right? So we, we, we went to sit down with them. And, 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 and the other thing is, too, she feels more pain than I do through all of that. You know, and it hurts. And, and, and she sheds more tears over it than I do. And so it's, it's, it's just a little different level. And, and I can remember sitting down with this couple and these people. And, and Lydia said the Holy Spirit just gave her such a compassion for them. Such an amazing compassion. She don't know where it came from. And, and through that, we were able to work. But the attacks came from within. The attacks came, oftentimes come from within. You know, in Revelation chapter 3, one of the scariest things that Jesus says to the seven churches is about lukewarm Christians. And he says, I'll spit you out of my mouth. That's violent. That's vile. That's scary. Raise your hand if you want Jesus to spit you out of his mouth. Absolutely not, right? And, and why is it maybe, why is it that Jesus is going to spit them out of his mouth as opposed to some just enemies of the gospel and enemies of Jesus Christ? You know, the hardest thing for us to overcome as a family of believers, as, as the body of Christ, as a church, as a, as a movement, as a people who are Christ followers, is the division from within. Do you guys remember the story Miracle on Ice? Anybody? Somebody raise a hand. If you see Miracle on Ice, you know what I'm talking about. A few of you? So, um, I'm not sure which Olympics. 80s? 70s? 70s? In the se- 80s? Okay. During those Olympics... The other countries were still using professional athletes in the sports. You know, it wasn't, remember the dream team with the basketball and we had like Jordan and Magic Johnson, all those guys. That was the first professional team that we put in the Olympics. Before that, we only used amateur athletes. And in hockey, the Russians were the the most powerful force on planet Earth in hockey. Nobody even touched them. And we had this ragtag group of of amateur athletes that had to go and, and face professional athletes against the Russian what do you call them? Juggernauts. I don't know. They're, they're Russian powers. And with the miracle on ice, we beat the Russians. Disney even made a sweet little movie about it. But I tell you, there's one thing that that, that team, that American team, that they could have not overcome. And if their goalie or somebody on their team was given the Russians goal, that's something that they would never overcome. And when somebody on our team is playing for the other team, somebody on our team... And that's why Jesus said, if you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Because it's, it, it's the biggest you know, obstacle that among the body that we fight. And so we, uh, we don't want to be lukewarm. And it says in verse number 10, then Judah, Judah means praise. Actually, verse 9, there's one more thing in verse 9 I want to show you. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Just four things I want you to pick up out of verse 9. You can, you can underline them. Prayer. Watch day, night. Jesus said what concerning the end times that we live in today? He said, he said pray, watch and pray, right? Watch and pray. That, that, that's the instruction that Jesus gives us after the Olivet Discourse. He tells us what's going to happen in the end of the world when He's coming. And, and then He tells us what to do about it. And what to do about it is watch and pray. A theme throughout the New Testament that Jesus Himself taught. And the, the other part here, it says night and day. And what we're going to see as this thing goes on is Nehemiah and his people came back and this enemy began to ramp up the attack on Nehemiah and his people that um, it says that it was, it was a night and day fight. And, and, and I highlight that because I think sometimes our Christianity in fighting for victory 
And again, don't forget what I'm talking about. I'm talking about matters of the soul. I'm talking about that part of your body that, that, that makes decisions and that is the will and that is the struggle between the flesh and the spirit. And, and sometimes our Christianity is, is by day and it's party by night. It, it's something that we do in the day and, until we're on vacation, until we get away, until we, we, we take the nights off and we, we work in the day. But this fight that they were fighting was night and day, and it never stopped. And then Judah, which means praise, said the strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build a wall. You guys ever feel like there's a bunch of rubbish in your life and it's in the way? There's a bunch of trash. Whether it be trash that you brought on yourself because of struggles, because of sin, or whether it's just the rubbish of, of life and the enemy. And, you know, in Tawilla, as we, as we fight, there's just so much rubbish. It just feels like, and it's discouraging. It's very discouraging. And we, we face these, these just spiritual battles, again, of discouragement in, in this same way that, that Satan started here. And, and, and as we try to build and there's all this rubbish... I can remember we were going through some stuff recently, not apart from what I already shared with you guys, and uh, just been a rough week, and just tons of stuff going on, spiritual battles, and fighting, and struggling, and I'm at church on Sunday morning, and I get a call from my wife, and she tells me that um, that morning she was in the bathroom, and she was getting ready, and you know, just kind of a little downcast, and, and, and praying, and um, she said for the second time, I think she said in her life, she heard almost an audible voice, and it said... I haven't even touched your children yet. She knew that wasn't God. That was, that was the enemy. And just that fear. And praise God, you know, she's a spiritual woman. And, you know, God began to minister to her. And she opened the word. And God had a word for her of encouragement. And, you know, she called me encouraging me. And just that there was victory. But just that, that fear of the rubbish. And that fear of stepping out in God. That, you know, we have an enemy. And, and, and he's, he's, he's not going to stop. He's not going to stop. But... Guess what's going to happen? This wall's going to go up. Churches are going to get built. Lives are going to get changed. Jesus is going to win. Amen? Amen. We, uh, verse number 11, and we'll, I'll tell you another story about our building. And our adversary said, they will neither know nor see anything. Till we come into the midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us ten times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. And so this is the Jews who are near the enemy, and the enemy is, um, the, the, they're coming and they're, they're trying to discourage Nehemiah and his men with the threats of the people. They're scared. And they're scared for Nehemiah. And they're scared for the work that Nehemiah is doing of building this wall. And, and they're hearing the threats of the enemy. And they're on Nehemiah's team, but, but they're afraid. And, and they come to Nehemiah and ten times, ten times, they keep trying to talk him out of what he's doing. You have anybody like that in your life? The enemy's going to bring them. And sometimes, like I said, they play on our team. And, and, and these ten times, they, they come and, and, and try to talk them out and, and just afraid. I want you to notice something. As you go through Scripture, there's always this, this faction of people that are afraid. And, and how many times, right? We always hear that it's said, Jesus, or the Bible says 365 times, do not be afraid, do not be afraid. And God's not going to repeat something 365 times if it's not valid and you don't need to hear it because your tendency is to be afraid. 
You know, every major, not every, most major stories in the Old Testament that are these big, like, battles. There's always this line in there somewhere where where God highlights and he he shows us that, that there was people that were afraid. You think of David and Goliath. I think of David and Goliath. You know the thing that breaks my heart about the whole David and Goliath story? Is that there was mighty men of war in the Israeli army. It's not that they didn't exist. There, there was giants that knew how to fight. There was, there was strong Israeli soldiers, Jewish soldiers that were armed, that were big, that were tough, that were proven in battle. And they were afraid. And they let a little 16, 17-year-old boy go out while these big, tough soldiers stood by and watched David walk out to his death, I'm sure is what they, they assumed. And then, and then if you look at Gideon, and Gideon's story, is, as, as it starts with this big group of people, what's the first group of people that God sends home? Those that were afraid. And God just said, hey, if you're afraid, go home. You think nobody would leave. How about you? If you're standing there, okay, I'm afraid. I'll, you know, that'd be, that'd be a tough pill to swallow. I'm not afraid. I'm staying right here. But no, they left. They took off. A bunch of them. They were afraid. Remember when Jonathan was facing the entire Philistine army? And he had just his armor bearer and... Who knows what Jonathan had for breakfast that day. I wish I knew I'd like to eat it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day. But Jonathan is, is standing there, and he's looking at the entire Philistine army. And I don't, I don't remember the numbers, but the chariots and soldiers. It says the soldiers were, you couldn't number them because they were just a mass sea of, of soldiers and chariots and horsemen. And Jonathan's looking down at him, and he says to his armor bearer, Hey, what do you say? Just me and you go down and fight that whole army. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so they, they, they go down, and they charge. And then as the story progresses, the, the battle begins, they begin to push them back and, and create confusion. There begins to become army. And, and, and you know what it says the, the other men of, of Saul's army were? It says they were hiding in the rocks and the clefts because they were afraid. And, and eventually they came out when, when the other guys got the victory. But being afraid to step out for what it is that God's called us to do. I'll tell you, it's scary where we are right now in Tooele. We have, a, we have a grocery store building, and it's cool to be in a grocery store building and see how beautiful it is and what God's done here. But there's a former grocery store in Tooele. It's 21,000 square feet. They want 700,000 for it. So we're only like 650,000 short. <laughs> and and, and it's, it's a mess. It's a mess. I mean, you name it. From the plumbing to the electrical to the roof to the... It, it, it's just a mess, you know, and... We, we've been negotiating back and forth with them, trying to, trying to make it happen. And, and it's scary. It's scary. And we've just been praying, God, we, we don't want to go before you. We don't want to go behind you. If you're calling us, we want to step out. You know, when I got to Tooele, I, I was asking God, and I think the people around me don't like this, you know. They, but I was asking God, I was saying, God, you got it. we want some faith stories of our own. I'm tired of telling all, all dad's faith stories, you know. I, I need some of my own. Can you make something, like, really hard happen or really scary so that i got a cool story to tell and... He says, okay, here it goes. And so we're, we're looking at this, this building, and, and we're back and forth, and we make this kind of ridiculous offer, and they, they won't even counter. It's so ridiculous, and um, according to them, and we go back and forth, and then we think, okay, we're just going to wait them out. They're, the building's been dark for seven years. And, and, and so we, we, we restarted the negotiations with some different... Um, kind of plan, a different idea, a different LOI. And um, so this last week, they accepted our offer. So, yeah, so now we have um, a, an offer on the table that we'll see what happens, you know, and we're just, just continuing to seek the Lord. We're just going to step out and, and just hope, and, and there's a lot of fear. 
There's a lot of fear and there's a decision to make. Do I go hide in the cracks? Do I, do I stand like the soldiers and watch David go get the victory? Or do I step out in faith? Do I step out and, and make some faith stories of our own? And, just, you know, and, and we never want to step out if God's not in it. When God called Moses and he said, Moses, I want you to go. You know the story in Exodus, right? Moses prays and he says, Lord, he says, I'll do whatever you want me to do. But, Lord, I'm not going unless you go with me. And God says, hey, I'll go with you. I'll go with you. I'm with you. I'm standing right next to you. At that point, Moses went out. And that's always been our prayer. God, if you're standing next to us and you're calling us, then we'll step out. And so pray for that. If you guys think, if you think of Tooele, pray for our building. Hopefully we'll, uh, we'll be in. We're going to try to put together some missions teams, construction missions team. So if you want to do some short-term missions like four hours from your house <laughs> for free. <laughs> I tell the Bible college students at Joshua Springs, I say, we have this great internship program. Actually, we had Tommy and Destiny on it, too. Um, wonderful internship program. You move out to Tooele. You get a full-time job. You volunteer at the church. And as long as you're tithing, then you can be a part of the internship program. <laughs> and so that's, that's our internship program that we have right now. And so... Um, but it, just, again, keep that in prayer, if you would, for, for God's will. And, you know, we... We're, we're, we've never had any kind of explosive growth at our church. You know, we, we, it, it's slow and steady, which I think is good and healthy. And, um, you know, constantly fighting, being afraid and discouragement and, and continually wanting to step out. But, um, you know, we grow slowly. And, and then we have, like, September come. And I got 135 chairs in our sanctuary right now. And September and October, we have about four or five Sundays where we have standing room only. And, and then, and then we, we shrink down a little bit, and we're back to 100 people. And then uh, we get to February. And, and again, we have four or five weeks, and we're, we're trying to scramble. We go to two services. And um, it's just kind of been like that as we've gone and as we've gone. But we're just going to continue plugging away and seeing what God wants to do and not being afraid. And he goes on, and again, those, those, that fear came from within, within their own people. In verse 13, then I, Therefore I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, with their spears, and with their bows. So Nehemiah puts them with their families, and we know that we're going to fight for our families, right? The one thing we're going to fight, you know, I, I, there's only been two times since I've been a Christian where I've really been hot enough to... to, to want to fight somebody. And both times they offended my wife. And I don't know what it was. You can say much worse stuff people have said to me and done to me, and it rolls. And, you know, one time we were somewhere shopping, and some guy made a really rude comment to Lydia, and, um, you know, and I was ready to roll. And another time this guy asked her for a kiss. And I got in his face, and I said, you want to kiss somebody? Kiss me! <laughs> But those are the only two times I can remember, like, ready, mad enough that I'm, I'm willing to fight. And, um, you know, and, and that's just it. And, and, and so the Lord, by the instruction of the Lord, and, and as the Holy Spirit, He puts them together with their families. And they're going to fight together with their families. And, you know, in everything that we do in our ministry, you know, we try to keep the, the family involved. And we try to, wherever our, our, our life is, our, our family's there. And we understood, Lydia and I understood that when, when God called us to Twila, He didn't just call us. He called our kids. 
And, and that's been one of the hardest struggles of, of, of going out there was that, man, we had it good at home. We, we have a wonderful private Christian school, wonderful sports programs. The boys love sports and um, teachers who, who love our kids and know them and are personal. And to go to a place where we're strangers and when they find out we're not LDS, they don't let us hang out anymore and they don't let us come over anymore and they shun the kids and, you know, makes it hard to find friends. And it's, it's been a struggle with the family, but the family stays together and we fight for the family and when we're together with as a family we fight harder and nehemiah puts the the people together and they're going to fight along with their family with their swords and their spears in verse 14 and it says i looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the elders and to the rest of the people do not be afraid of them do not be afraid of them. And so, again, just another time in the Word where it says, do not be afraid. You know, sometimes I think we need a, a word of encouragement. And, and that's just the reality. And for, for Lydia and I, what's been really cool is that, you know, as we've, we've kind of ventured out, when, when we get afraid and we get discouraged, 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 God always does something when we need it to keep us encouraged. And he always shows up at the right time. And he always just does something cool to, you know, continually encourage us and keep us moving. And um, I can remember when we were praying and asking God if we were supposed to step out and, um, and receive this building and, and, and try to make a move on this building and just wanting to decide if it's something that, that was way over our head or something that God was in and, and we were supposed to pursue. And we had to make a decision and we had to make an offer and we, we were needing to try to borrow some money. And, um, and, and so I went to the scripture and I did kind of one of those things like this, you know, which I don't always recommend that. I've gotten lucky doing it a couple times though. But it was kind of one of those days, and, and I have a, we have our, our men's uh, fellowship or our men's discipleship class, and so I have a group text message on my phone where I keep these guys informed of what's going on, and we pray together. And, um, and so that day, it was like we had to make a decision. And so of all places, I ended up in First Chronicles in, in, verse number, in chapter 28 and verse number 9 and 10, and, and asking God and seeking the Lord and you know, battling discouragement. It says, As for you, my son Solomon... Know the God of your fathers and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all the hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will be cast. He will cast you off forever. In verse 10, it says, Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and just do it. I was like, okay, Lord. <laughs> And I was asking him, should we build a house? Should we, should we try to get this for a sanctuary? And I end up in this place, and it is as clear as day. Be strong. And, and then it says, just do it. I made a little note in my Bible. Nike owes the Lord royalties. <laughs> First Chronicles 28, just do it. In the second part of verse number 14, it says, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Again, fight for your families. Fight for your wives and your brothers and your sisters and your sons and your daughters is what the Lord tells us. And in this spiritual battle, the enemy is going to attack your families. The enemy is going to attack your marriages. The biggest spiritual battles that Lydia and I have faced um, in the... Well, I don't know, 18 years of marriage and uh, 20 years of ministry has been in our marriage. 
number one place where the enemies attacked us. And he knows if he can drive a wedge through our, our, our marriage, that, that he can drive a wedge through, through our victory and, our, and, and through our, our, our ministry. And that's not, not only true of a pastor, it's true of all of you. That the enemy wants to divide families. He wants to divide the, the morals of our country and of our system. And it's, a, it's an area of attack. And Nehemiah says, fight. Fight for your families. It's worth fighting for. It's worth saving. Fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters. Turn with me, if you will, just back to two, two pages to Nehemiah chapter 1. In, oh, these verses are on the board. She's probably having a terrible time keeping up with me, huh? You can just hang out there. I'll be right back there. And I, I just want to read to you this prayer because this is how it all started for Nehemiah. And so for Nehemiah, as he stepped out in faith this day and this time, he, he, he started it with a prayer. And again, as we fight, and the first thing they did when the first threats came in was they began to, they began to pray. You, you, you have to pray. And the enemy's going to mock you. He's going to mock the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And, and, and as you're trying to, to navigate through this life and walk in the Spirit and have victory over struggles in your life, have victory over defeats, it, it has to be with spiritual weapons. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And we have to be a people who prays. Start praying. Start putting Jesus first in what you do. Stop making Jesus a daytime thing and not a nighttime thing. Fight in the day and watch at night. Work in the day and pray at night and watch at night. And, and, and in that, Nehemiah begins with just a powerful prayer. I have to read it. In verse, chapter 1, verse 5, and, and I pray, Lord God of heaven, oh great, this pulpit is too short, by the way. I pray, Lord God of heaven, oh great and awesome, God, you who keep your covenant with mercy, with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and let your eyes be open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, Watch, I pray, therefore, before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you, both by our father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations." But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the furthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there, and I will bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And let your servants prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. You know, you can, you can pray the, the, the scriptures, and that's an amazing one. Mark that down. And you, you want to pray, read it, and, and say it as a prayer, and fight in prayer. And we have to be a people who prays. Amen? amen. Don't just say amen. Make sure that we're, we're, we're doing it, that we're fighting, that we're praying, we're spending time. If you don't have something that's, that's regular in your schedule, in your life, that is a, you know, actively praying. Jesus said when you pray. He didn't say if you pray. He said when you pray. Go into your room. Close the door so nobody sees you. And pray to your Father in heaven. 
Verse 15, it says, And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. So all this hoopla of the enemy, what did, what did the enemy actually do to Nehemiah and his men? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And what did they do? They worried, they fretted, and, and, and that's how life goes, right? We get all these threats from the enemy and, 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 and all the worries that we have. You know, Jesus just told it clear and plain. He said, don't worry. What, what, do you, what do you accomplish by worrying? Can you add one cubit to your stature? Can you change anything by worrying? It doesn't, it doesn't change or do anything in our lives. And, and we spend so much time there. And, and, and I know you've probably heard it a million times, but, you know, to be reminded of it because it's just so true. The same energy that you spend worrying, spend that same time praying. And that same energy seeking God over these things. Because here again, we have these threats, and they're, they're scary. And they were scared. And the people, they were legitimate. But yet, nothing came out of it, and they went back to work. Do you believe that, that God can use you? Do you believe that God can heal your life? Do you believe that Jesus can change your circumstance today? You know, your answer to that question is probably prophetic. And, and how you, you respond to that might affect your, your tomorrows. In, in believing and knowing the truth that God can change your life. God can affect your circumstance. Jesus can heal what you're going through today. And, and believe that. And confess that. And step out in faith in that, that. That God has the power to work and change in your life. And if you have a, a, a discouraged or a bad attitude about it, it's like a flat tire. You ain't going anywhere with it. You've got to change it first. And so you, 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 you got to get rid of that. You have to seek it. You have to give it to the Lord and step out in faith and believe today that God can and will change your circumstance. He'll heal your, your addictions. He'll, he'll change the part of your soul that, that you give to Him as you press into Him, as you begin to pray, as you begin to do the things of the Spirit that, to, to battle that, that spiritual battle that you're facing. So it was from the time, that time on that half my servants worked at construction while the other half held the spears and shields with bows and whole armor, and the leaders were behind all the houses of Judah. How many of you guys go to work and you have to have a, a, a gun on your side to, to, to stay safe while you work. Any cops in here? Maybe you'll qualify. But not too many of us, right? Not too many of us live in a, in, in a place where we're at work and what we're building that we literally have to have a weapon to protect ourselves as we work and a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other kind of, you know, it was probably some crooked lines that they were building that wall with because they had to have one eye on the wall and one eye over their shoulder. But that, that is not something that we face necessarily all of us today, Right? But it is in the sense of spiritual battles. Your life is that way. In a spiritual sense, you fight battles all day spiritually. So get in the fight. Don't, don't be like, you know, here I am, you can't see me. It's not going away. It's still there. There's still a spiritual battle that you're going to fight. Take up your weapons and fight them. And it says in verse 17, Those who built the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with... I just read that, huh? With one hand, they worked at construction, and with the other hand, they held a weapon. So that's where you hear that term, um, the sword and the trowel. What, what does a sword in the Bible represent? It represents the Word of God. And so the, the Word of God is, is key in our lives. You know, I had a dream. And I don't, I don't put much stock in dreams, especially mine, because I don't know that God speaks to me through my dreams or, or, or not. Because, but I know He speaks through the Word, so I can trust the Word. So I just read the Word. 
But I had a dream and I was, I was, I was speaking at a Calvary chapel and I was totally lost and I, I, I couldn't find it and I was going through this town and all these people were there and, um, and I kept asking them, where's Calvary Chapel? And every one of them knew exactly where Calvary Chapel was. And they were all pointing me in the direction. And I, I finally got there. And, the, and in the dream, it was like, everybody knows where Calvary Chapel is, but nobody's there. Why are they not there? And, and I don't know what the answer was or what it was, but I, I just remember feeling a burden. Like, people might know where our churches are, but there's a reason why they're not in them. They, they might know what's here and who's there. And is it, is it exclusivism? Is it... Um, what, what is it? Is it that we're not out inviting them, reaching out? And, and we need to be out there inviting and, and welcoming and loving. And, and we have to have something that, that's, that they want or that they see as, as fruit in your life. And, and that can be as simple as dealing with the joy in your life. And I just want to encourage you this morning, if you struggle or you lack joy in your life, jump on it with two feet. And I know it's a struggle. I'm not, I'm not the poster child. I'm not saying that I am. But I do know this, that Jesus was really interested with your joy. He was really concerned about you having joy. And in the last 72 hours of his life, when you think he would have been thinking about himself, it says over and over again that he was concerned with your joy and my joy and our joy and that his joy may be in us and that our joy may be full. And that, and that one of the, the, the characteristics that Jesus is concerned about among Christ followers is just a, a, a level of joy in our lives. We're almost done. And it says in verse 18, And every one of the builders had his sword girded by his side as he built, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside him. And so there was a guy that was there, and he was to, to sound the trumpet. We live in a day today where we're also listening for that trumpet call. And that, that trumpet call will, will come faithfully. And in verse 19 it says, And they said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, The work is great and extensive, and we are separated from one another on the wall. And whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Favorite part of Nehemiah 4, why I picked this chapter today. Our God will fight for us. Everybody say that with me. Our God will fight for us. Is that the coolest thing you ever heard or what? That's like mic drop. I'm out of here. Our God... Our God will fight for us. In all this, in all these battles, God says, I'll fight for you. Did, did Gideon and his men go and, and, and have to actually do anything? Not really, right? Unless you consider taking a torch and breaking the water pot and exposing the light, something. They, they didn't do anything. God did it. God fought for them. All the way through, God fights for us. All God, God just says, show up. I don't, know, I don't know what it is. It's like he just wants to, yeah, get in there, get in there, get in there. He's pushing you. You're afraid I don't want to go. It's a fight. And he's pushing you in the ring. And, and then you get in the ring and you put your hands up and, and he comes over the top of you and knocks the guy out. And you're like, what did you do all that for? Oh, I'm going to fight for you. I just wanted you to, you know, I just wanted you to step out. And it's like having a big brother, right? One good thing about it, I was the youngest of, of eight. And I had big brothers, you know. And so, and I didn't necessarily like to fight, but it was cool. I could start fights and then I'd just go get my big brother and he, he would finish it. And our God will fight for us. And, you know, the interesting thing is they said that the people were all scattered along the wall where they were working. And the battle plan was once you hear the trumpets, everybody come together in this section and to hear our God will fight for us. Don't stay spread out among yourselves, but come together at the trumpet call. And as we come together as a people, then God's going to show up and fight for us and we're going to have strength in numbers. The Bible says, do not forsake the gathering of the brethren. And as a Christian, it's important that you're in church. It's important that you're in fellowship. 
There's a reason for it. It's important that you surround your life with Christian people. Find, find other Christian people. And, you know, for Lydia and I, when we first got married, we, you know, we, there wasn't a ton. We, we didn't have... We had a couple couples we hung out with, newly married, and there was just nobody that, 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 was, that we were on par... that we really wanted to hang out with that wanted to serve the Lord. And so rather than compromise and, and hang out with certain people that... We, we just didn't hang out with anybody. We hung out with our parents a lot. And we just wouldn't compromise. And then what happened? We just started praying, God, God, bring, bring us Christian. And then before you know it, we got 40 young couples in our living room for a Bible study, you know, where God was just bringing people that, that, that we could fellowship with. And so in our lives personally, you need to be in church. You need to be around other believers constantly in your personal life, in your worship life, in your corporate life. And, and that's what Nehemiah tells the people. Bring the people together because there's strength in the numbers. And when you get there, God's going to fight for us. And so the other thing is, just in this whole story, in the whole battle, in this whole picture that we have in these three books that are pictures of the Holy Spirit in our life, they're pictures of the work of the Holy Spirit, helper, comforter, and hidden. These three post-exilic books that, that describe for us that today that we live in the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, that God's going to fight for you. So, 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 so put your trust in Jesus. Whatever your problems are this morning, whatever your struggles are, whatever you're going through, I want to encourage you that, that our God will fight for you. And believe that. And, and don't allow the mockery and don't allow your own um, discouragement to, to win out. And believe that God will fight for you and He wants to fight for you. You know, God always shows up and just does it. And he does something we can't do when we can't do it. I'm almost done here. And it says... In verse 21, actually, I have a little note here I want to talk about real quick in verse 20. You know, you know the other cool thing about God is, how would you guys like to fight for a commanding officer that's never lost a battle? That's, that's the kind of commanding officer that we have. And so if, if that's the case, we can, we can fight for him. And it says in verse 21, So we labored in the work. And half of the men held spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. And at the same time, I also said to the people, Let each man and his servant stay at night in Jerusalem, that they might be our guard by night and the working party by day. So again, that same thing that I told you guys about. So you can underline there in your Bible if you highlight it, guard, night, day, working party. So we party by night and we work by day. But it says they had a, a working party in the day and then they, and they stood guard at night. And again, we, we don't ever want to take any time off knowing that the enemy doesn't take time off. Satan doesn't take time off in your life. He doesn't, his attacks are not going away and they're not taking time. In verse 23 it says, So neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off our clothes, except that everyone took them off for washing. You know what? You know when the spiritual battles and struggles, you know when they cease in your life? Never. Never. They don't. You know, they, it, it, we're going to continue to battle, battle, battle. Oh, they could stop, I guess, if you stopped stepping out for the Lord. You know, there was a group here in, in Israel, these, these guys that came and gave the ten warnings. They were telling Nehemiah and his people, hey, we've been back in the land for a while now, and we're fine. Nobody bothers us. Just, just stop building walls and stop doing something for God and come over here and, and maybe you won't experience it. But, but for those that step out and those that want to be used by God, those that want to do something for the Lord, you're going to fight spiritual battles 
all the way through and finding joy in the, in the fight and victory along the way because there's victory in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. The worship team coming up. Here they come. So we want to, uh, we want to pray for you guys today. As we sing this last song, Lydia and I will be up front. And if anybody needs individual prayer, we, we'd love to have the opportunity to pray for you and pray with you. If, if you're struggling with something today, um, something in your life, and, and, and God's just calling you to step out in faith, and it's been a struggle, and there's been a lot of discouragement, we want to encourage you today that our God will fight for us. All you got to do is show up. Just get in the ring. Don't, don't, don't be afraid. That Mike Tyson is in the ring. Just jump in. And as you jump in, God's going to show up and fight for you. Amen? Amen. Amen. So again, we'll be up front if anybody would like individual prayer. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you, Lord Jesus, so much for this day. And Father, we thank you for your, your word, Lord. And God, we, we pray for anybody in here this morning, God, who, who you've touched, God, who, who has a struggle in life and, and needs a victory. And that, Lord, we would fight in prayer. And that, God, that we would find victory and that we would step out and be sold out for Jesus. We wouldn't be lukewarm. And, God, that, that we would come home. And, and Nehemiah chapter 4 is Aliyah. It's about coming home. And so I pray today, Lord, if there's somebody in here this morning that, that needs to come home to you, Father, that you would call them right now, that you would draw them right now, Lord, to come home to you in Jesus' name. Amen.